Okay, welcome back to another episode of Fight or Flight. Post first round, pre slash during second round edition. I'm Seamus. I'm your host, Bird. I'm here with you. How are you doing? Recovering from the one-two punch that I've uh, been given in sports right now, that's for sure. Uh, and for in case those who are wondering, I'm referring to, of course, Bucks game, game two, and uh, more painfully, uh, the Wilds game one against the Blues. Not a big hockey guy myself, although I do like the Wild in, in the playoffs, but how, do you think there's any hope for the Wild moving forward, or is it just like gut punch and I can return from it? As any uh, smart analyst will always tell you, it's a, it's a series. So one game is not the end of a series. And hockey, more than most sports, I think there's larger swings. Um, I mean, we can also look at game one against uh, one of the best game one series outside of the wilds, of course, is uh, going to be the Maple Leafs versus the, uh, the Lightning, who, if we remember, Lightning won back-to-back Stanley Cup championships past two years. Uh, and... Lightning actually lost uh, game one, I believe, like in a shutout. So uh, currently, I think that's it's uh, lightning up for game two. So uh, nobody was expecting the Wild to get shut out. I mean, Wild's an incredibly off, uh, effective offensive team, and hopefully that holds true again tonight. Um, but it doesn't make it easier to sit through a, I believe, 4-0 loss. So Yeah, that's not ideal. I actually didn't know. You say the, the Lightning were the back-to-back champions? Yes. Yeah, I had no idea. I couldn't. <laughs> if you had, if you had asked me who the Stanley Cup champion was in 2021, I would have needed probably six guesses, seven guesses before maybe getting to the maybe getting to the Lightning. Well, hopefully that doesn't reflect too poorly on your uh, your fantasy picks here that you got. But um, regardless of that, what were you doing then if you weren't uh, enjoying some uh, hockey action? You know, it's a world of possibilities. You know, if, if only I was enjoying the hockey action. I do have some stake in hockey, as I've told you in the past. I have a fantasy league of every sport where I picked some champion potentials. And I have the the Flames and the Penguins. No, not the Penguins. Yeah, the Penguins. I can never remember. Again, not very invested. But outside of that, I was actually playing Survivor this last weekend. Um, Are you so a fan of the show, Bird? Have I, you seen the show ever? I... I'm not going to say I'm a huge fan. Uh, the coolest thing I can stay, say about it is that uh, my dad had uh, a famous contestant as one of his students for a while. I think her nickname was Barbie. Um, it was Andrea. Is that right? Is that, does that ring a bell? Honestly, <laughs> I, sh- I should remember her name, but I just remember Barbie as the nickname and my dad being like, yeah, I, I had her as a student. She was nice. So that's all I can remember. If it is Andrea, that's actually a pretty big deal. Like, she's like not in the Hall of, oh, maybe she is in the Hall of Fame. She went, apparently she came back as like a favorite contestant for. She a, came a, back a, twice actually. Oh geez. Yeah, so I think she's in like the Hall of Very Good for sure. She might just make it to the Hall of Fame for Survivor. Okay, so, that's a bigger thing I guess than I realized. Yeah, big deal for for your dad. You know, I'm I'm sure he's uh, you know really really cheering her on, <laughs> proud of her, all that. Uh, we oh. never really watched them, I'll be honest, though, in my house. But sorry, more importantly, what's what's this going on here with your, your friends? It sounds like you guys were all having a game. What island did you go to? Are you going <laughs> out in Maui, you know? So a good buddy of mine was hosting the game in Chicago in a park. So we went down there, me and my uh, partner, Sarah, we went down and both made the merge for those of you that are big Survivor fans. And uh, one of us won, but it was not yours truly. Sarah ended up getting... The victory. I will say, I think she stabbed me in the back a little bit. Um, she, I was playing down how much I knew about the show, and she, uh, she told her tribe mates how much exactly I loved the show. So my lies were a little bit exposed. It was uh, they were they were reticent to work with me after discovering my lies. So, so she's you know, really I'd, trying to back up the better half claim here. You know, I guess so. I guess so. But you know, she absolutely won that game fair and square she did an amazing job and so uh it's very proud of her too yeah that was amazing but yeah nice. outside of that bird we had a lot of playoffs that have happened since we last talked yeah, um, speaking of you as a loser let's talk about how about those other losers exactly so <laughs> we are post first round we we know what our second round matchups are here second round matchups and um before we dive into some of the teams that were 
um, you know, unfortunately not victorious uh, and, and what kind of what went wrong for them. Should we do a quick update on our little bet? Sure. Do you want me to go playoffs? positive or negative first? What do you mean? Would you like me to give you some positive news and feedback or would you like me to give you some negative news and feedback for some of the people that are out? Well, well, let's um, let's just talk about the teams as a whole. Let's uh, yeah, holistic. Yeah, just, come on, just 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 add positive or negative. What do you want? Negative. You want the negative first? Okay, yeah. negative. Uh, obviously, we're always going to be uh, hearing slander about players, and the one that I want to go against the most right now is uh, Rudy Gobert. Shocker! That's not the one that you probably thought I was going to go for. Let's but, get into that in a second, Bird, but I want to give you the update for our, our playoff predictions first. Oh, you want to do that first? Okay. Yes. All right. we'll, do, we'll hear about Rudy Gobert in a bit then. Let's do, let's do the update for the playoff predictions here first. And um, how do you feel like you did? I mean, apart from a pick that I made that I'm surprised you didn't make, I think I should have everything correct. I'm not so sure on remembering exactly the, um, the number of games that I had picked. But apart from like that, maybe being the part where you might get me, I'm only down one, I believe. So, so you're referencing the Timberwolves Grizzlies where I had taken the Grizzlies and you had taken the Wolves. Um, I'm still confident in that. I don't think that was a, a loss or like a win by the Grizzlies. I think that was a loss by the Timberwolves. I mean, that I think Timberwolves proved that they were a better team. They were just a dumber team and lost the series for themselves in several points. I agree. I agree. Frustrating for both of us. We can talk about that in a second, but you know, that was, that was frustrating to say the least, but let's start from the top here. So Western conference, um, bird, you picked the, the, uh, Suns in five, the Suns did win in six. I picked the Suns in six. So that is a two, one lead for me right there. Utah versus Dallas. You selected Dallas in six, which was correct. I had the jazz in seven. Gives Ooh, so you that a there's... two point um, advancement there. I'll sum everything up go. here at the end. Uh, Denver and Golden State. We both selected Golden State in four. They went in five. So we both got a point from that. Minnesota, Memphis, as we just said, I had Memphis in six. You had Minnesota in seven. I got the two points there. You got zero. Miami versus Atlanta. Two points. Uh, correct me, please. Sorry, I sorry for the quick pause, but I just want to refresh everybody. I believe the way we set up the scores, correct me if I'm wrong here, was it was one point for winning the first round, and then was it one or two points if you got the number of games correct? So two points if you got the exact number of games correct and the winner, and one point if you just got the winner of the series correct. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So then... Going to the Eastern Conference, Miami versus Atlanta. You had Miami in four. I had Miami in five. Five ended up being correct, so I got two. You got one. Philadelphia versus Toronto. We both had Philly in five. One point for us each. Milwaukee versus Chicago. We both had Milwaukee in five. Two points for us each. And then Boston versus Brooklyn. We both had that going to six towards Boston, and we got one point each. So pretty much identical along the way in the Eastern Conference, save that Miami-Atlanta series which leads to a current score of bird nine Seamus 11. Yep. How do you All right. I mean, this is the first round. So, I mean, things are not really the high point totals here. So this is where easy catch-ups can be made or big leads can be made in, around round two because our points are increased for getting round two and round three or Sorry, semifinals. So semifinals and conference finals uh, series are counted as more. So yeah, so we're doing like a... two points if you get the winner of that correctly, and you add a point this next round if you get mm-hmm. the exact number of games uh, correct as well. So lots of points on the line. Phoenix and uh, we both have Phoenix and Dallas versus Utah is what we had, but Dallas obviously we both have Phoenix winning. You Phoenix and six, me Phoenix and five. Both have Golden State winning. You and four, me and five. Miami, you have in five, and I have Philly in seven. And then Milwaukee, you have in six, where I have Boston in six. So we're going to really diverge here. This might be telling as to uh, who's going to end up winning this thing. It's going to mean a lot, too, because I think both you and I have the winners for Bucks and Boston making it all the way, I believe, to the finals, correct me if I'm wrong. So I that's going to be 
the real decider almost. Right I believe there. that's correct. Yeah. So we will see. And I will tell you this, I can't wait to see you in a Kyrie Irving Jersey at the end of all this. <laughs> oh, do you want to know who, okay. So you already spoiled who you're putting me in. There. You already knew who I was doing. You knew what I had to do. That's, that's fair, but you, you didn't know what I was going to do. Do you want you me to spoil to it? Me. No, keep it as a secret if you want. Okay. Okay. I, I leave this up to your satisfaction, Bert. That's what this, this is what this whole podcast is about. Well, I don't feel bad at all about making my pick now. Cause at first I was like, do I want to be a little more merciful with my pick for giving you what Jersey to wear? And then when I hear Kyrie Irving is definitely mine, I know what retribution is coming your way. So Listen, just so you know, it is locked in. If you want to bribe me to make it someone else, I'm open to that. Okay. Then how much do you love Jimmy Butler? I love Jimmy Butler. My favorite. You love player. Jimmy Butler. Yeah, my favorite okay. player. Listen, I'm. I think I'm coming from the position of power here, Bert. So just let me know if there's something. If you wanna, you know, do something for me to make nine to make my jersey a little a crazy bit easier. Yeah, here. I can make That's it a Bones Highland jersey if you if you really make it. You know, offer me something nice. Ooh, we can ooh, make that work. The amount of confidence. Okay, but all right. all right, we should we should probably get to our our other teams though. So now. let's talk about the teams that that. Um, are unfortunately no longer advancing. And Bird, you wanted to start this off. You have a Rudy Gobert take for us. Yeah, so Rudy Gobert is one of the players who's getting a lot of slander right now. I mean, people, not even just in this playoff series, but in everyone is consistently always saying that Rudy Gobert always gets just like picked apart and is, I often hear takes something uh, to the absurd level of he is a detriment to their teams in the playoffs. And I'm not here for that. Um, I know I didn't have him as highly as you did in our uh, defensive lists. Um, but I think watching the tape more and hearing other people break it down, I think I, I learned a lot. And also, uh, I think he grew a little bit more in my eyes, even though I guess he shrunk in others, which is a weird thing to say, but I, I want to, he's, he's a big boy, not easy to shrink Rudy Gobert. <laughs> this is true. Um, but it's unfortunate that we're a podcast and not, uh, a visual medium. Cause I'd love to break it down through the tape, but I mean, what I can just at least describe for you is kind of what we consistently see. Uh, teams will always uh, statistically attempt more simpler like drives to the rim in the regular season. Therefore, we're always seeing Rudy Gobert having a lot of success in the regular season in terms of what he's able to defend. It's why we also see teams with other great interior presence uh, defense, uh, i.e. Um, when Brooke Lopez is in for the Bucks, that's an incredible presence there too that's doing something very similar. Not the same, but similar. Um, However, in the uh, postseason, you're all, or sorry, in the um, playoffs, you're often seeing teams scheme a little bit more, hunting for mismatches and stretching the floor a little bit more. So often when you're seeing this, Rudy Gobert is doing his job to be a help defender for a team when, for example, let's see, uh, one, one example I remember seeing specifically was a player was uh, on the drive against Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell is about to get cooked by this player so Rudy Gobert comes in as a help defender like his role is supposed to be. Therefore, what often a good team does when you have other good defenders on your team, you're supposed to then have that switch where your player then another player takes Rudy Gobert's man so that way that player is not going to be wide open. But when you have a team like the Utah Jazz, you don't have uh, players who are switchable at all and you don't have other good defenders that you can trust. So therefore, Rudy Gobert, when he tries to do his job like most other great defenders, you just don't have a switchable team and therefore they just get exposed. And then that, that uh, a player then can easily shoot out the pass and uh, make the open three or make the pass in the interior around him and then go for that dunk. Uh, I just think personally, I'm not going to blame Rudy Gobert on that when your team is not switchable, allowing for you to do your job. So that's just what I think in my opinion. So over the last week, we saw some reports that Gobert has made it a him or me ultimatum with the Jazz moving forward. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of denied this since, but, you know, where there's been a lot of smoke, I think there's some fire there. I think that's probably fair to say. So in your ideal world, where can Rudy Gobert go that he's going to be able to be his full self? Or what can the Jazz do to build around him? and get in a return for a Donovan Mitchell if they were to keep Gobert as their centerpiece. I feel like we maybe talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but if not, I will, I'll reiterate my take here. Uh, 
that it was often like like you're saying a Rudy Gobert or a Donovan Mitchell. And in my my take, I'm keeping Rudy Gobert and trading Donovan Mitchell for a lot more assets and possibly better defenders and more players who you can get a lot more for. Because I'm not saying that Donovan Mitchell is not a great player. He's he's good. He's not at like maybe the tier that you might want a player in his role to be. But the problem is Donovan Mitchell is also horrible on the defensive end, and he's a guard. That's not always a detractor, but let's be honest, guards are guards are one of the easiest positions to come by in the NBA right now. Rudy Gobert is not as easy to come by. And honestly, like I was describing before, when he's the focal point of your defense, when you have no other great defensive players, I mean, like, who's the other player that we would maybe talk to as being that great player? Joe Ingles, maybe? He is not the player he was before. Like, who else is there on the defensive end for the Utah Jazz? Nobody. Therefore, I say the more valuable of the two is Rudy Gobert. Yeah. Do you think so? Do you think like a team like the Knicks, would they go after Donovan Mitchell? Do you think you could get like RJ Barrett as a return for that? That that might be too much, but get more. He can defend the perimeter a little bit more, like something along that make those lines make sense to you. What I hear from Knicks fans is that RJ Barrett's like essentially almost untouchable, which is wild to, see, to hear because. I mean, RJ Barrett's good, but he's not that great by any means. But it's also the Knicks, so you really never know what they're going to do, if they're going to do the smart play or not. Um, I could see it it happening that Donovan Mitchell goes to the Knicks because they're a franchise that wants that, and uh, I could see them making a lot of different moves for it. Um, It might be a good situation for him. Personally, I think that uh, he would have more success personally on the, the Jazz but the Jazz themselves would have more success with him gone, if that makes sense. Do you see the Jazz returning to the playoffs next year? That really depends on the moves that they make. I mean, if they keep this current roster, yes, but it'll be a very similar uh, appearance where we're seeing like either a first or a second round exit. Uh, but I don't think that we're going to see the same roster uh, again, of course. I mean, I think we made that claim for a lot of play, uh, teams last year in the playoffs, and this is definitely one of those uh, more than others. I honestly don't think we're going to see him in the playoffs next year. I do you, don't. But think do, you, those... do you think we're going to see the same roster though? Is that no. why you're making that claim? I I don't think we're going to see the same roster. I think one of the two will be gone, and quite frankly, I think Gobert is the better player. If it's a Mitchell-led team, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. If it's a Gobert-led team, they have a better chance, but. That's a lot of young players that you're probably going to have around and young players take a little bit more longer to develop. So, yeah, exactly. And I, I think, you know, you look at the Clippers not making the the playoffs this year. I think that could easily slot in as the team that would take their place in the West. I don't see, you know, when you look at those, that the Clippers are going to be incredibly much more of a threat than they are right now, because they're going to have one of the, what probably will be a top five player in the league when he comes back very most likely. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to have, you know, their players coming back from injury. Obviously PG came back at the, near the end of the year, but you know, he'll have a full off season to continue getting back in shape. So I think the Clippers are going to be back in contention next year. Lakers are going to try, you know, we'll see what the Lakers can actually do, but they're going to try. You have the Pelicans who are going to get better. And now we're looking at the bottom of the, you know, the conference that made the playoffs. That was my positivity. I want to also mention, uh, apparently reports are out that Zion has talked in interviews that he would be willing to accept a supermax if they offered it. So that statement I think is enough of a commitment to hear that he will stay with the Pelicans. Yeah. And that's, and that's good to, to note, because I think as, as we, you know, are talking about here, the Pelicans, you know, the wolves, the, I think the nuggets will continue to get better as players come back from injury. So that West is only going to get better in the bottom. And to your point, the Pelicans, if we want to transition over to them, had made a series, even though it was, you know, still a, a six game series, you know, it, it they weren't ever, really con- um, contending to to beat the you know the Suns out of the playoffs but ultimately they showed a lot of the promise that a person like Zion when when he comes back has reason to believe this team can be a contender and has the pieces in place what did that you see game, from the Pelicans that game six uh with the Pelicans playing uh in game one against or sorry in round one against the Suns that game was uh really down to the wire so it wasn't like they were easily getting finished off in game six this was a very close game at the end and it was a very Brandon Ingram dependent game therefore if we're adding another great offensive piece however great CJ McCollum is 
down the wire, we were not seeing CJ McCollum making, making, or even taking those shots. It was very much Brandon Ingram trying to do everything in those last few minutes uh, in the Pelicans game. So therefore I think the addition of adding Zion back in there will immediately change that because you'll have two great offensive talents that can really be dependent on when, in those final moments that you need. And they could have easily then won that game and taken it to a game seven. I mean, I, we were just mentioning the Knicks. I don't see why Zion would ever want to uh, switch to the Knicks. Cause I think easily the Pelican situation is a much better one than the Knicks right now. I mean, they know what they're doing. I think however much we, we were ripping on them, uh, a year before, I personally right now trust uh, the front office in the, on the Pelican situation more than I trust the Knicks. Uh, yeah, I just totally. think it's, it's a safer, more stable situation. So I don't see why he would want to be anywhere else. Cause I think this is the best place for him personally right now. I would totally agree with that. I think that, you know, the pieces are there and I want to give a little bit of shine to Brandon Ingram in game five it might have been maybe game four i don't i don't remember exactly the jose alvarado game is the one i'm referring to which by the way love that dude idolizing cp not absolutely giving a singular care if cp was you know on the court just saying like all right i'm you're my matchup we're gonna make this happen and just totally antagonizing him ton of fun to watch that game but brandon ingram i mean showed why he was such a high draft pick he showed that he has superstar flashes i think when zion comes back next year, presuming everything, you know, goes according to what we would expect. It's Brandon Ingram's team. And I truly believe that Zion has a year to get back in shape. If he wants to prove himself to still live up to his billing, he can, but Mm -hmm. as of right now, this is Brandon Ingram's team and Zion coming back won't change that. Deservedly. So too, I I have nothing to bite you on that because I mean, I think everybody was putting Zion in their top 15 when he was playing and he probably was in that league. Uh, and he worked at it and deserved that spot, but it takes a lot more though, to be a leader of your team. I mean, when we were looking at the warriors, when uh, KD was on it, uh, maybe to be a little bit relevant now, I think a lot of people were saying Steph Curry was the leader of that team. I mean, you can make the debate. It's a lot more of a debate now that KD was the better player of the two of them then, but yet Steph was still the leader. Yeah. I don't think you have to be the best uh, player on the team to be a leader always too. It's something to, specifically notice what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect transition into another team that um, unfortunately lost this, uh, this off season, which is the, uh, the Timberwolves. Um, and you look at cat and you look at ant and the reason why the wolves were able to make this a series is because of guys like ant and Pat Bev, those locker room leaders. And once again, with the wolves, as we uh, look towards this off season, you're kind of questioning Cat and D'Lo. Are those going to be the guys? At this point, I still think you continue with the, that big three, but the real question mark is with D'Lo right now. And, you know, to, to use the, the words of a Timberwolves podcaster, I enjoy Dane Moore, and I think you put this really well. The sum of those three parts, you know, D'Lo, Cat, and Ant is not adding up to, you know, a big three that's greater than the sum of its parts. So right now you need to figure out who can run this offense and also, who can be that guy when the game is coming down to the line? Because it saw so much iso ball at the end of that game. I was at the game, and it was tough to watch. We were literally, like, booing from the stands just seeing it because we're like, this is how we lost two games before this. Fourth quarters, double-digit leads. Here we go again. So and, many um, dumb fouls by Cat. Yeah, just not, not good basketball IQ at the end of these games. So I think the playoff experience goes a long way. It's been a long time for the Timberwolves. It's been a long time for some of these players. I mean, Ant hasn't played meaningful basketball like that since high school, I'm guessing. He certainly didn't at Georgia, hasn't on the Wolves as of yet. So, you know, these guys, I think, stepped up to the moment as much as they could be expected to. But if that's the big question mark heading into this offseason. And if I, I, I think Dila will be on the team day one, but I wouldn't be surprised if he wasn't. I, I think there's, there's possibility either way. So it sounds like for sure, though, if you were splitting up your big three, D'Lo is the one that you're choosing. Um, I'm going to go with you, of course, uh, as the expert in this. Um, I remember at first I had thought even to myself and maybe a little bit out loud that Cat might be the one that I would get rid of just because of I was so uh, surprised and annoyed with some of those stupid mistakes he was making. And I think the expectation for Cat is much higher than D'Lo. So therefore, the lack of performance was much more stinging. But then again, I guess uh, you can have players, though, who are your number two or number threes who really take you uh, to that postseason 
in their regular season, if you know what I mean. Like, they're players who show up and are incredible. You need to have, like, you know, players that can get you to those enough wins to make you into the playoffs. And I think he can be one of those guys. Um, but it, it might be less of a hindrance if you ha- don't have him as your true number one. Uh, but then again, I remember you were t- telling me that at the beginning of the season, we were seeing incredible uh, defensive performances from D'Lo, which is not something I'm used to hearing. Um, he had was leading your team in terms of being one of the best defenses in the earlier part of the season. And then that just completely switched in the second half. Does that factor into your decision at all? Do you still say D'Lo is the one to lose out of the three? Uh, I would say the issues with D'Lo, while he is the one I would be most ready to move on from in those in the big three, and it's it's really not even close. Um, the issue is with his offense in this series. He was turning the ball over, making lazy passes, not hitting shots. Um, I mean, he had to be benched in game six. They benched him. He didn't close out the series. And that, you can't have that for a, a guy you're paying a max contract to. Exactly. So um, I do want to say, though, that th- that doesn't always mean everything. Uh, I mean, I know this may sound weird, but I'm just bringing this up specifically out of one of the other series that ended, and that's the Nuggets versus the Warriors. So when we saw uh, Nikola Jokic getting out for that small part of the play uh, towards the end uh, of the game, people were immediately going, this is our MVP. They're not, they're not even playing him towards the end. And it's sometimes that you just know their specific role in scenarios. I don't think it always means that uh, that, that player is worthless, but sometimes different scenarios uh, account for different kinds of needs by players. So therefore, in that need that the Warriors got that one dub that they had, which to me is impressive, even though, uh, I mean, it's not a win one series, it's just winning one game out of a series. I still think that was an impressive win nonetheless. And having him out for that uh, critical score there doesn't mean that that team doesn't need Jokic. It just means that uh, there are certain schemes defensively uh, that it's just the most effective team without him sometimes. That's true. I think that can be true with D'Lo. Yeah. I will say that was not the case with D'Lo in that game. It was a full, he got back in at the, in the mid of the fourth quarter, turned the ball over and the coach turned over and said, all right, you're out, you know, it's, it's done. But I agree with your point. And to that, why don't you talk a little bit more about the the nuggets and what they need moving forward? Well, I mean, there's not a whole lot to mention with the nuggets in terms of when you have your number two and number three guy out that your team immediately suffers. Uh, I think we, we saw that they needed a lot more depth, of course, because I personally think that outside of Jokic, that's the worst team in the playoffs. I think pretty easily. I don't think there's a lot of people that would disagree with me. I mean, you have, uh, um, what is it, Bones Highland as your possibly other good offensive talent, which is go. <laughs> it's yeah, it's tough when that's the situation. And then you have Aaron Gordon as maybe your best defensive de- defensive player, who we didn't have in our top six. We don't think. I mean, we didn't even put him in our honorable mentions. He can be effective in certain schemes, but he's not going to be your number one defender, and that's unfortunately what uh the um scheme has for him in the Denver Nuggets so I mean if you want to pick up some better defenders and maybe add a little bit more depth to your bench that'd be awesome but I'm also not going to really be confident in what I see until I see the full roster because I mean when we did see all three of them playing they made the conference final so yeah I I I, you know it's it's hard to get a, a true read on this year's Denver Nuggets it just it just feels like a gap year and we'll see exactly what they can be fully healthy next year. Exactly. I mean, we both remember Jamal Murray having incredible 40 point games in the playoffs. Uh, so let's see what it's like when we have that great player back. Top but, three um, playoff series I've ever watched. That was amazing. That was an incredible one. Uh, but I think that covers, I think uh, all the teams that are out that are, I have anything to say for, do we want to move into uh, the current series right now? You have nothing to say about the Eastern Conference as a whole? <laughs> I mean, I guess we can talk about the Nets. Uh, you don't want to talk about the Nets at all? <laughs> the problem is I feel like anybody who's listening to this right now has probably already heard a million things about the Nets. Uh, we can add to that if you'd like to. Um, I mean, the thing that I would probably say is this, this proves the statement that I've made time and time again, which people always say is a casual sentence, but like not all trophies or chips are created equal. I personally value 
Giannis's one championship over the two that KD has. And I think a lot of people are already starting to agree with that take. KD has proven that he can be an incredible player, but he's not a leader. I mean, he wasn't really the, the leader of the uh, OKC. I mean, when it was them on the squad, we're, we both agree that he was the better player of him and Russ. But I think looking back on it, a lot of people are starting to think, and I might be one of those people, that Russ was truly the leader of that team. And then when we move over to uh, the Warriors, I had already said on this, this very episode, I thought Steph was the leader. And now we're looking at the Nets when we truly think Katie's the leader and what is their team doing? I mean, it's not exactly thriving in a team that we have such high expectations for when we were like, when we heard the initial roster, we're like, oh, automatic chip, this is unfair. And now look what's happened. Which is, I think, the bigger picture. I do think Katie failed this series and I think that he needs a little bit of scrutiny, maybe more than he's gotten. But this is a, a top to bottom failure. You know, to go out in a sweep, with as much talent as they have up and down that roster, that's coaching. That's, this was the you know, team the that had the best odds in Vegas too. And this was the t- only team to get sweeped in the entire first round. Sorry to cut you off. I just yeah, think no worries. Um, yeah. And, and that's the, yeah, the only sweep, like you said, and you know, so much talent. We'll see whether or not Steve Nash is there next year. I I'm not, I wouldn't be super comfortable if I was him, but. Um, they need to evaluate some things. I don't know what you do though. You know, at this point, you just got to run it back maybe and hope you get a better seating. You know, obviously that was a, an issue for them, but um, maybe some of the pieces on, on the peripheries, but they, uh, they need to figure out what's not meshing in the same way that, you know, the, the whole, the, the sum of the parts, um, you know, needs to be, or the, the big three need to be greater than the sum of their parts in, in their case. And, and they're not right now. So. And I Simmons guess didn't even the, show up. I, I'm counting Simmons as one of those big three. And obviously yeah, that was a big thing that didn't even play. If I want to give a little bit of defense for them as well. I mean, I was just saying this with the, the uh, Denver Nuggets that I didn't totally give too much of a knock on them because they didn't have their big three. I mean, we, and you just mentioned as well that they didn't have one of their big three and he was one of the reasons too. And we, when that initial trade had happened, we had said on this podcast that, or I had said personally that I was putting them as one of the teams I feared the most. Um, Unfortunately, we never really got to see what Ben Simmons looked like on this team. Uh, and one thing that's tough to always bring uh, to bring up, but it's kind of also important, is that mentality really plays a, a large role in the success of your players. And uh, that's something that we can sometimes uh, really easily see. I mean, uh, mentality can drive a player who not a, people would say physically is all that impressive in Jimmy Butler, but it drives him to a finals or a Giannis who um, started off as like a, a shrimp. I mean, maybe not a shrimp isn't the word, but I would never not use the, that to describe Giannis. But a young Giannis was not the imposing force that he is now. So That's mentality can, dr- can drive you to be, change yourself completely and become more than many people expect you to be. And unfortunately, I think a couple of these players uh, in this big three, I think have some shortcomings when it comes to that personally, in my opinion. Just good life advice. Yeah, mentality, you know, grinding wins out in the end. Mental toughness. Is there anybody else in the East you'd like to talk about? No, I don't think quite as much. Um, you know, he uh, heat Hawks, I'd say, you know, tough for the Hawks. I don't know what they're in a tough spot. I think I'd have to run it back too, but they um, certainly were not able to recapture the magic from last year. Bulls, you know, uh, it just didn't really work out for them this year. And, and I think they have a lot to prove. So I'm not, they seem more like more of a fluke than anything. Sounds Raptors, like Levine might be the piece that gets changed too. So we'll see how that team uh, gets changed up and if it looks very different from what we see now. And what do you build around that? It does, it's the, the, the picture doesn't make a ton of sense to me over in Chicago, but DeRozan's looking like a good addition. I'd keep DeRozan of any of those pieces. It's not a centerpiece at this point, though. He's he's older. You know, he's not he's not what you build your roster around. Um, that that being said, um, I do want to make one slight point on uh, the Hawks, if that's all right. That kind of transitions us into a current series. Sure. Yeah, uh, what do you got? And that's, um, I think personally that uh, Trey Young is kind of a cautionary tale in my eyes. I think. Continually every year we see uh, the media, I mean, myself sometimes included, 
always hype up. You're a, new a big young part of the guy. media bird as you know, through this <laughs> podcast. Sorry. I guess I, I don't know if I should call myself that, but as a basketball fan who loves to open his big mouth a lot everywhere on uh, social media and to his friends. So that's what I'll say at least um, that there's a problem with a lot of people who do that, including myself, where a young player uh, is really shining, does incredible in uh, a year that we see him really getting to step out of his shell. But we, I think we always immediately want to step to the first uh, or the, the last step of a superstar. And we skip a bunch of other iterations that need to be included. I, I say Trey Young was one of those where immediately after we saw the series against the Knicks and then what he was doing against the Bucks, we were like, oh, this guy right here, oh, sorry, and the 76ers as well, that this guy's a superstar. He's great. He's uh, already like top top 10. Um, and I think we're doing that this year too with another player, and that's John Morant. I mean, John Morant did score a 45-point game, I believe, in uh, his game two performance. And is an incredible player, but we need to realize that these players who have incredible years, there are levels to this. I personally put uh, John Morant on a level with Trey Young, uh, Donovan Mitchell, and uh, players like that, where they're, or, or even, um, sorry, uh, Jamal Murray as well, where these are all incredible players who can have incredible showings in the, pl- uh, the playoffs and really step up. But let's also realize a superstar means a lot and one thing that i don't think i always see specifically from uh john morant is a multifaceted level of play it's very much we see one thing done really well by john morant and i think he's able to do that really well against the warriors because the warriors don't really have a lot defensively that does good against him i mean they don't have a lot of larger players to really push him off his uh, game to really switch him over to his uh, less dominant hand and on drives. And therefore, he, we don't have to see him do a whole lot of playmaking because, sure, he can be okay at it, but I would not put him in an elite category for playmaking. And he's not elite either in defense. So what what is he elite at? It's driving to the rim and being a great interior presence. It's getting fouls. And getting fouls. Am I a salty Timberwolves fan? Maybe. <laughs> Who's to say? I'll never tell. I mean, it, it is true. He does an incredible job at uh, drawing contact. And that's something that's definitely worth noting when you're an interior presence uh, like him. But like I said, it's, it's one of the reasons that uh, we had made, I had made the comment when we first talked about the Timberwolves losing this, that I didn't think it was the, the Grizzlies winning it more as the Timberwolves losing it. Um, yes, we saw the Grizzlies take game two, but I don't think anybody's really picking the Grizzlies to win this series. And I just want us to realize that and kind of check our hype a little bit. So Grizzlies, Warriors, um, obviously, you know, I think we're both leaning the Warriors on that one. What else are you looking for in um, in the series that are happening here in round two? I'm watching Draymond Green uh, as a, just a quick note that um, he's hurt their t- uh, his team in the past with some of his behavior, and it's kind of step, stepping out a little bit now, and we're seeing it where Draymond Green is an incredible defender, but sometimes his antics can – cost him uh you know those uh flagrant twos which can take him out of the game when his team really needs him cough cough if we remember that warriors final specifically that that happened and a lot of people say if he didn't go out they would have taken that that uh championship so i think that's something to pay attention to down the road to see if this really hurts him because we know their next round matchup if the suns are going to be the team that they face chris paul does a really good job of getting under people's skin and I can see that being a, something that may cost the Warriors down the line. It's one of those um, things with Draymond, though, where, you know, he's the heart and soul of that team as, you know, locker room leader, all of that. And I think Draymond just is who he is at this point. Like he can, we can try to limit those mistakes as much as possible. And if he can, great, but you get what you get with Draymond. And I think at this point, it just kind of is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, when I was just ripping about hype on John Morant, there is somebody who I want to add a little bit more to that he's maybe been getting a little bit out, and that's Tyrese Maxey in the 76ers versus Heat series right now. 76ers are looking really good with Tyrese Maxey. I think we all know that they're losing uh, this series probably. I mean, currently the game with the Heat versus the 76ers is 116 to 103 as of taping this episode. Um, So it looks like the Heat are about to take uh, game one and two now. 
However, though, I really want to say Tyrese Maxey is really coming into his own as a what maybe should be the future number two for the 76ers. Uh, James Harden is that position right now. I mean, he's doing an okay job for a player, but not for James Harden in terms of his points. We're seeing like 15 points in this game right now, which is not what we want from James Harden, but that's the point leader that we have for the 76ers. But if we're looking at Tyrese Maxey, he is an incredible player who really capitalizes on a specific uh, thing that always seems to happen with the 76ers, and that's Joel Embiid and his double teams. So Joel Embiid is the most double teamed player in isolation in the league with 114 times he was double teamed in the regular season this year. That's twice as many as the number two player, AKA Giannis. So it's pretty much like anytime he breathes, he gets double teamed. So therefore uh, you have to have a player who can capitalize on that. And Tyrese Maxey, who's a really quick player who knows how to really attack those open spaces and uh, just be constantly moving. So that amount of scoring can really add to a great amount of play. Uh, he's not, he's obviously more tilted towards scoring than he is playmaking. So the need possibly might be a little bit different. Cause I mean, we are hyping up Joel Embiid as the number one, but Joel Embiid also is kind of a score first over playmaking guy as well. We really need James Harden to be that, you know, facilitator, but I think you and I might both agree that he might not really be that guy for very much longer. So, yeah, as we're, we're talking here, that just went final, 119-103. And Maxi had 34 points, 12-22 shooting. So I, I think absolutely he's one of those guys that, you know, moving forward he's going to be seen as a centerpiece of that team versus just, uh, you know, a nice guy. You know, you, you love having nice players, but then you have your, your players that you build around. And I think the Sixers are going to stay in contention through players like Maxi. And Maxi elevates – you know, they're or it rather prolongs, I would say their window. Um, Cause when Harden's gone, I think Maxi is going to fill in that role and that's, and maybe they trade him at the end of his contract. Who knows what that looks like, but. Um, I hope they don't. Can I give you one other, I'll, I'll let you finish your point here. Uh, no, that's it. Yeah, go ahead. But one other really great thing about him is that uh, in transition, he is also an incredible force. 1.35 uh, points per possession. That's incredible in, ter in terms of what he is can do on transition. So I, I wouldn't get rid of him, but I'm sorry to cut you off there, uh, Taylor Swift, but I'll let you finish. <laughs> you're, you're all good. I, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I had to say. Any other last points you want to make about the, uh, the playoff teams are remaining here? Yeah. I mean, the big one to note and probably the most spicy one right now would probably be the Bucks versus the Celtics. Um, I assume a lot of people who know me probably wanted to hear what I had to say about that. Um, game one and game two were obviously completely different things. So game one, quote from Brian Windhorst is that the fewest amount of baskets in Celtics history were made in game one. Therefore, uh, we're seeing just obviously a reason that the Bucs were able to dominate is just a completely different style of play. I mean, we all know that the scheme for the Bucs is interior presence that allows you to then chalk up threes. So statistically your best shots are always going to be inside the rim so therefore a team like the bucks will always depend on you not being able to make those threes that came back to bite them in game two of course when Jalen brown just had a heater of a night with his threes it was incredible um but let's also recognize that that's not going to be a frequent thing that's consistently happening um they did a much better job defensively uh playing against Giannis. i mean game one i'm not going to say that they did poorly either uh because if we want to compare what Giannis did in game one, nine to uh, out, of, out of 25 shots, while KD, by the way, in his game one against the Celtics, had nine for 24, that playmaking that you see by there is really what allowed that impact from Giannis to be so monumental when it's even worse of a percentage than KD. So I'm just pointing that out there that that's another reason why Giannis maybe might be a little more valuable. But uh, it's worth saying that uh, I think the loss of, Middleton really showed its, uh, itself in game two. Uh, uh, Middleton is the uh, player that's used a quarter of the time when they run pick and roll, which is one of the things the Bucks love to run the most, especially when Middleton and Giannis are on the floor together. So that back, I think, makes a huge difference. But it's been very odd this series because we're seeing both when these players leave, we're seeing not the results that both of us would expect. So losing the defensive player of the year in Marcus Smart, 
Uh, but then the team looking so much better. I don't know what to really comment on that if you have something to say, but it's definitely very odd. Um, but I just want it to be noted that both these teams will be better teams when both of them are back. And I think there was a definitely big overreaction when people were like, the Bucs are better without Middleton. Let's pump the brakes here and realize that the Celtics are better with Marcus Smart and the Bucs are better with Middleton. It's really interesting. A lot of the, the takes on what teams are better without certain star players, John Morant and the Grizzlies are a big uh, favorite of that crowd as well. And, you know, I think John just makes them better just because of his presence, but some of the advanced stats, all that stuff, you know, you never know where it's going to come from. So both, both of those teams are obviously better with those players, but you know, the way you adjust and the, and how flexible you are with that, I think is, is really what sets you apart because the team hasn't seen you without that player. If you can adjust well, that gives you an edge because you have now basically created a slightly adjusted system. You know, it's, it's a new branch of, you know, you know the tree that you're already built the foundation you've already built but um you know that can catch teams off guard so that's that's gonna what, what can put you above speaking of putting people or putting you above um bird i think we should get to our list here so yeah we have um a list and uh the idea of this list top five for us each is the top five players whose legacies would be significantly changed by winning a championship it would be the most significant too. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah. Who has the most to gain from this championship this year? Yeah. And I think it's a really interesting question because obviously any player is going to have a lot to gain. So, you know, you're thinking about it in terms of levels and um, you had one person who you said, you're not going to put on this list. I've decided to put them as my number five, but I, cause I think it's worth talking about. And we'll just go ahead and start with that right away. Giannis Antetokounmpo is who I have at my number five spot. Yep, Last and... year was obviously a pivotal moment for the Bucks franchise and for Giannis's career. I think two would put him at that level that we would talk about LeBron. We would talk about, you know, Curry. We would talk about some of those all-time greats of a decade. Whereas right now, I think Giannis doesn't get elevated to that plane. He's a step below. And I think putting him up, up to that level would really um, be cemented by a second trophy, especially two in a row. I couldn't agree more. Um, just one slight point I want to make to that that I've noticed is that Giannis seems to be a player who never seems to succeed when people are hyping him up like you or I are also right now. It seems like consistently every time anybody's hyped up the Bucks and Giannis, uh, look, looking at specifically the series against uh, Toronto, the series against the Heat originally in the bubble. These are both times where people were like, the Bucks got this, they're going to roll stomped on. And then especially after this per game one, when we were hyping up Giannis again, saying that he already is going to be one of these all times. And then we see a performance like in game two. Uh, it's, it's tough because these can be really frustrating moments, but then we remember every time that Giannis is underestimated, uh, i.e. the Nets series and the finals. These are times where people were already saying the Bucks had lost it, and we see some of the most impressive performances from Giannis then. So hopefully we can see that again, but I just wanted to vent my frustrations, I guess, as a Giannis and Bucks fan. Yeah, absolutely valid. Who do you got at your number five in your list, Bird? My number five might be a little bit odd in your opinion. Uh, he's one of the older ones as well on my list, and that's Steph Curry. A lot of people would say Steph Curry, uh, his legacy has been cemented. I think there are still those out there. I'm not one of them, but you know who you are. Uh, that doesn't believe Steph Curry was Call them that out. dude. Yeah, who don't think Steph Curry uh, was the leader of those uh, Warriors teams and was the reason that they were winning and don't think that they could win either without – KD I think Steph winning this year would just cement it that this is truly Steph's team and the Warriors are great with or without KD so it's not only just boosting Steph up but also I mean tearing KD down a little bit to be honest as well which you love to do so it's a win-win I mean I don't want to say that too much I, I mean I know I have been one to give a lot of KD hate out there but I really Especially just want this episode <laughs> This is, this is true. This is true. But I think right now I just want to recognize that Steph Curry deserves to be one of the all-time greats and a chip 
now would not only cement his legacy even further, but I think put the Warriors as a dynasty uh, into one of like the best teams of all time without question. And though they are in that space now, I think it just removes all questions. That's why they're my number five, not my number one. Because like you said, it's a little bit smaller of a, of a jump maybe, but it just removes any question out of the equation. Yeah, I think in my opinion, that question has already been answered. I don't think there's any question that that Warriors team, you know, was one of the best in the history of the NBA. And Steph did it before KD got there. He did it when KD got there. I think his legacy is pretty cemented. So he didn't make my list, but I understand what you're saying. Who made your list then at number four? Number four. I have two bucks in a row. Oh. Get my bucks in a row, you might say. I have (laughs) Bobby Portis as my number four. Oh, Bobby Fish. So, again, levels, right? You think about Bobby Portis where he was. He's a free agent, didn't have a lot of interest. He gets signed with the, the Bucks. They win a championship. He's, you know, a fun, crucial piece of that. If they win two championships with him being the role player that he is and with the contributions that he's doing, he's going to have energy contracts. He's going to be the next Pat Bev is really what he's going to be. And I think two championships elevates him even above like the Pat Bev of it all because Pat Bev, you know, People like to make fun of him. Next five years are mine. You know, he's, he's got the pedigree, but he hasn't actually done it. You know, there's, there's, there's holes you can poke in, in the persona. Bobby, if he has that persona, he has that energy. He is that dude. He's going to get veteran contracts to be the veteran leader for years to come. I like genuinely, I think he could do that for the next seven to eight years. It's and, funny because this yeah. success is almost hurting him too. Uh, when he started this, this season, he said his goal was to be uh, the sixth man of the year. That unfortunately was not possible because of uh, Brooke Lopez's injury. He became much more frequent within the starting lineup of the Bucks. But I do think that was going to be very popular. But with now with what we're seeing, I, I don't know if he's ever going to be not in your starting lineup very often anymore for the future of the Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, he's, he's pretty regularly. You're like third scorer on the Bucks here. So I think Bobby has a lot to gain, a lot of contracts. He made a, he made a lot of money through the last two years. I'm, I'm going to say that much. Fair enough. I'm keeping it big with my number four, and it's Joel Embiid. Uh, Joel Embiid's a player who I think wants it maybe more, mm, arguably more than the other four I have on my list. Joel Embiid, I mean, when he, when he lost to uh, the Toronto Raptors, that one infamous game on that one infamous shot, the man broke down crying. Uh, that, that shows how much it means to him, but more importantly, how much it would mean to his legacy if he won. Uh, Joel Embiid is often put in the conversation with Shaq, and I personally don't think he belongs there. Uh, he gets talked about as one of the top players in the league. I think I would arguably, I mean, I would put him in the top five right now, but going into this uh, season, I did not have him in my top 10. Um, or not top 10, sorry, and not in my top five. That's pretty hot take. He was in in my, sorry, I apologize. He was in my five through eight, uh, five through 10. But I think easily with the championship there, it cements him in my uh, top three players when I didn't really have him there. And by the end of this season too, it kind of felt like he was the, the weakest of the three MVP candidates, personally. I know I'm a little bit biased towards both, but I also had a lot of evidence to back up both my other two guys and Joel was great, but I'm sorry. Like, uh, I didn't, I wasn't as impressed, but like I, like I mentioned here again, if I see an incredible performance in winning a chip, I think all of my questions and my doubts and maybe a little bit of my hate will be, uh, you know, shut up and pushed aside. Yeah. I have Joel and beat at my number three. So this is perfect. Um, and I think the, the kind of the word that comes to mind when you think of the 76ers organization over the last couple of years, it's kind of stagnation for me. You know, they've, they've tried a couple combinations of star players and it feels like we keep getting the same results. If Embiid can win a championship with this roster, it'll prove that, you know, he's kind of been that star player all along. He's been that dude that we, we thought he might be, but we weren't sure. We were like, is he that guy? Is he not that guy? I can't tell. You know, it would, he would have proven that because there's been steadiness with him, which I think he's already proven to be 
like an MVP caliber player, but is he just an MVP, you know, kind of wannabe, or is he really going to be a player that kind of goes down as one of the greatest centers of all time, which I think is what we're looking at. And especially Mm -hmm. when you take into account, this is what raised him on my list from a little bit lower, especially when you were taking out the injury. Now, if he was to come back from the injury, win the championship, that would be a historic postseason run. Will it happen? Probably not. They're already down 0-2, but if he was to, it would be something we wouldn't soon forget. Couldn't agree more. Um, another guy who had what I would have expected even more success on the 76ers, uh, but he's now on the team beating them, and that's Jimmy Butler of the Miami Heat, is my number three. Uh, Jimmy Butler already has made it to a finals, um, is proven to be a dog and really shape a culture. But I think there's a lot of question marks that people have right now uh, about him, especially after that whole uh, scuffle that we remember with the Heat uh, in the beginning of or towards the end of the regular season. Um, and a lot of people give him credit as being a great player, but nobody ever like brings him up in terms of defensive player of the year or like, you know, some of the top two way players, even though I, I think he deserves to be definitely in that conversation as one of the some of the best two way players, you know, in the league. Um, and also nobody really ever put him in their top 10 still once he once he brought them to the finals they were still like he's great he's great but he's probably still like 10 to 15 people would say I think winning a championship would finally shut everybody up and be like Jimmy Butler is that dude and he should be in your top 10 if not your top five Jimmy Butler is a great player and deserves uh, a little more recognition if he were to win so that's what I have to say about Jimmy Butler I had him as an honorable mention you know I feel like every list we have, we have to have the Jimmy Butler discussion where I'm not putting him <laughs> on the list out of choice and you are praising him. So maybe we need to, we need to find a list that we don't have this argument. <laughs> I think, I think as I trended away from older players on my list, because I think their legacies are pretty set in stone and you get more towards the, like the deserved championship when you get towards the end of it. Right. So I'm going to spoil a little bit of my list. Chris Paul is not on my, my top five here. And Chris Paul, I feel like he's already recognized as the point God and point God with a championship is going to be like, Oh, point guy got a championship. Cool. But I don't, I won't think differently about Chris Paul. If he wins a championship, truly, he will have been an amazing player on an amazing team. And I'm glad he got his ring, but I wouldn't change anything. And I kind of start feeling that way about Jimmy Butler here pretty soon in that, you know, like you said, he's, he's got that dog in him. He's, uh, you know, he's, he's going to be that, that dude, but people don't know. already put Jimmy Butler though, in those, like one of the greater players of all time, at least in a position, people already put Chris Paul in one of, as one of the best point guards of all time conversation. But so. I think what you said is that Jimmy Butler is Jimmy Butler's known to be some of the best at what he's known for in that I'm saying like culture building, like he's always going to be known for that. And that's already, he like has a calling card. So he's not known as a great player. I think you deserve to recognize him as a great player with the championship. And I also spoiler alert too, just to bounce off. You did not put Chris Paul on my list as well for almost the exact same reasons that you described where he's already ranked so highly on my list as well. And I think his legacy as one of the greatest point guards of all time is already settled. I mean, the, the man had a perfect game and we, we haven't mentioned that on the show yet. He literally shot a perfect game, uh, this, this season. And then his performance in the finals was also, rather incredible i think just making it there he's already definitely cemented himself as one of the greats in my opinion so it would mean something but not as much as it would mean to my other top five as well as it sounds like for you as well should we go on to uh what was that that was your number three so should we go to my number two let's go for it number two again we're talking levels bird my number two is jordan pool oh okay you have some interesting picks here. <laughs> Again, I think this postseason, when you think about the Warriors, the first thing that comes to mind is Jordan Poole and how well he has been playing. The future and, of the Warriors is set for sure, it sounds like. If they can continue this run and he can play even similar to the level he's playing right now, it is going. he's going to be seen as the future of the Warriors, like you just said. He he's should have be been the most as, improved player, too the heir apparent to Steph Curry. He's going to be seen as a, there are going to be star expectations on Jordan Poole next year. This is a player that was in the G league a year ago. And he's about to make a brothers. Yeah. He could make a max contract damn near. 
he's if they win the championship and he continues playing like this, it's that kind of stuff we're talking about for Jordan Poole. So when you think about what he was at to where he would be at with a championship, I can't speak highly enough about what he's been doing. And um, I don't have a ton else to say, but it's just we're living in the Jordan Poole moment. And if this continues, it's going to be unmistakable. And, uh, you know, I'm happy for him. Not to slander John Morant more, but I think it's Please. definitely a much more deserved, most improved player going from a G leaguer to a starting uh, position in the playoffs for a number two seed for the uh, Warriors, correct? That's, I don't know. To me, that's much more deserving of a most improved player. That's incredible as a, for a turnaround. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Number three seeded Warriors, and he's looking like almost the best player on them. So that's, you know, props, all the props to Jordan, uh, Jordan Poole, you know, uh, flowers to him. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to see the run keep going. I, I don't think they're done. As we both said, Golden State should be moving on in our opinion. So uh, there's more, there's more left to, to do. Who do you got at your, your number two? Your request for young blood has been uh, listened to. I have number two, Jason Tatum. Uh, Jason Tatum is a player who a lot of people say is an incredible player. I mean, he's already proven himself to be incredible in the playoffs, but it's never really been enough to really carry them uh, to a finals. Um, Jason Tatum's uh, proven time and time again to be one of the great, uh, the best two-way players in the league right now, but he hasn't really proven himself to be a leader because, I mean, earlier in this this season, we were talking about who do you take? Do you take Brown or Tatum? So the fact that that question's even being made, I think winning – uh, being led by Jason Tatum, it proves that he is easily a top five player and that he is the leader of the Celtics and that they are more than just an incredible uh, regular season team and an Im- impressive defensive team, but they're a team that can win a championship. Uh, and Jason Tatum would go down as probably one of the Celtics greats. So I didn't put Jason Tatum on my list. I thought long and hard about it. And I think the reason I didn't put him on my list is that the word and the process and just like the aura, I guess is what I'm looking for around this Celtics team is team defense, right? Or team efficiency or whatever it is. And I think the collective is really what's going to be remembered about this Celtics team. If they do take it all the way, I think Tatum will be seen as the best player, but I think they will recognize that this Celtics team was one of the most cohesive. And when you put all the parts together, you put the Robert Williams, you put the smarts, you put the, the Derek whites, you know, you put the, um, uh, you know, obviously Brown and Tatum all together, you know, and it's, it's going to be kind of seen if they do continue to win as, as a collective team championship obviously Tatum will be the star and he'll get, he'll get props, but I think he'll still be seen as the best player on an incredible system. If they win. I do agree. I mean, a performance like uh, Jalen Brown had in game two definitely shows you that it's not, you know, a one man leading the team. I mean, in a performance like that, you're like, wow, is he, is he what's leading this team on? Cause I really think in game one and game two, or at least specifically game two, Jalen Brown was really a shining star. And I agree. So I agree that their amount of depth does, does make it hard to really put a spotlight on one guy. Um, but it's not hard to put the spotlight on my number one. Oh, and that's Luca. Luca is Luca. also my number one. Oh, this sorry. One B Boban was my number one, <laughs> but then, then Luca. Okay. okay. Let's talk about Luca. I'm glad we agreed on one. I'm happy too. This is the most important one to go on. Cause I mean, uh, we'll both be honest. We haven't talked about the Mavs series as much uh, in this, this pod, this episode, but um, the, I think Luca is just the only example left really in the playoffs successfully. That's like a, that dude, one led, like, you know, this is my team and we're going to live or die by my, my ability. Uh, so I think more than any player, their team is dependent on his ability. I mean, Lucas scored 45 points and still lost, I guess, you know, in game one. So that's something to note, but Luca already is being talked about in leagues with, you know, Michael Jordan and LeBron James, and he's super young. Uh, Him winning now would be so impressive and easily put him already in goat competition for a lot of people because of just like, you know, doing it at such a young age 
when a team's just focused around around him. And I, I don't know if you have more you, you have something different to say, but I just only have good stuff to say about Luca. So sorry, I'll step back and let you keep some praise on him as well. I, I agree with what you're saying. I don't have a, a ton else to add. I think you highlighted there at the end, like this is a team completely 100% built around Luca, and it doesn't really have any other stars. Like there's no one else you would consider a star player on these Dallas Mavericks. It's Luca's team and Luca's fully. And if they win the championship, if they were to do that, he would be instantly top three biggest name in the NBA. Most mm-hmm. top three, most marketable top, you know, three if you know that might be even generous of like highest expectations he might be the, t- the highest like he if would if he wins people would already hype him over Giannis the best player in the league and I would probably put him still at number two like I'd, I'd put him above uh, Jokic and at the number two spot if you if he was able to get a championship and he would totally be compared in those conversations like you were saying to literal like goats he would be it'd be like this guy is is the next next decade Sorry, Pat Bev, next decade is Lucas, if that was to be the case. So, um, you know, whether or not it'll happen, I, you know, I, I don't see them getting past Phoenix here, but if they did, hey, it's Lucas' world and we're all living in it, and I'm fine with that. That is very true. That is very true. Uh, well, Seamus, I think this has been a great episode, um, and I can't wait to hear my score getting raised and yours getting uh, lowered. Uh, in this next round that we have our episode for, and then I'll rub it, rub it in your face a little bit more. Um, I don't know. Do you have anything more to add? Yeah. Uh, quick sidebar asking for a friend, what size Jersey do you wear? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Extra small. Got it. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I agree. Really fun episode bird. Um, a lot of really fun action. And, you know, by next episode, I think we'll be breaking it all down again and uh, look forward to a similar update, similar conversation, but, uh, you know, more clarity on, on maybe some of the stuff we're prognosticating here, which will be a lot of fun. For sure. All right. Well, until then, this has been a great episode. Talk to you later. Peace. See ya.